Would you join me? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word and how the entrance of it gives us light. It gives us understanding. So today, as we speak from your word, as your words begin to penetrate our hearts and our minds, would you be glorified? Would you be revealed? Help us to see you. Help us to see how you're working in our lives. We surrender to you now as we share together. In Jesus' name, amen. As you know, we've been in a series called In the First Place, Priorities for Life, and we're at the first of the year, we're taking advantage of the opportunity that the beginning of the year affords us to say to God, okay, I want my life to revolve around your priorities. I want to know what the priorities are that you have for me in the scripture. And so we're taking a look at different areas of scripture and really trying to put our lives together properly. We're trying to live our lives according to the scriptures and set the right priorities. The bottom line is, as we learned last week, if we don't have the right priorities, we really can fail miserably at at several things talked about how the order is important last week. And the first things that you do, whatever you do first, actually affects the rest. It was really a fun time. We, that, that message is called Big Rocks, and we talked about how you got to put the big rocks in and all the little rocks go around it, and we did a little illustration. If you missed that message, you can hear it on the podcast. I think it's really important for us to get that and listen to it and, and understand how to set priorities. Today, I want to talk to you a little bit about an, uh, a really essential component of setting priorities. And the essential component of setting priorities is to have love attached to those priorities. You can do it by your, try to do it by your own willpower. You can try to force things into the right place. But the truth is, whatever you love, that's what you're going to gravitate to. And so I want to talk about our first love. I want to talk about our first love today. So in Revelation chapter 2, we're going to just read from verse 1, and we're going to read just five verses here. Not going to read all seven of them, but we're going to read five. And I want you to see what Jesus is saying to these churches. This is the Apostle John. He's written this letter. He's recording his vision, his revelation, and he's, and he's, he's speaking about how Jesus spoke to these churches. And this church, this particular church, is in the city of Ephesus. And so he says here, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the stars in his right hand, the seven stars in his right hand, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, some Bible scholars think that that really is a reference to the pastors or, or maybe even angels over those churches, or, but the lampstands are the churches themselves. And so verse 2 says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? When you look at that little list right there, if you just, if you just think about it, he, Jesus is commending this church for working really hard. I want to tell you how much I appreciate your hard work. I want to tell you how much I appreciate your perseverance. Look, as a church planter, I can tell you, a church is hard work. There's a lot of hard work. You, some of you were sitting, or, sitting around. You weren't sitting around. You were here not sitting around at 7.15 this morning, setting up tables, making sure things were right, making sure things were ready for most of you. 
There's a lot of hard work involved. In this particular case, he's commending them. He's commending them for enduring. He's commending them for perseverance. And then he's commending them for making sure that they don't put up with false teaching. He's commending them for not tolerating wicked men. He's saying, you don't tolerate wickedness. You don't tolerate sin in your midst. He's like, and this is, this is a good thing. All of us need to wrestle deeply with sin in our own hearts, and our own minds. Uh, part of being in this community is understanding that it's identifying where you're missing it, where you're missing the mark, where sin is in your life, letting somebody else point it out, and then realizing, I don't want this sin to dominate my life. I want Jesus to dominate my life. All right, that's what it is. So he's saying, good job, way to go. And then he's saying that they've persevered and have endured hardships for his name. That means they've been persecuted. That means they've been made fun of. That means there's, there's people in their community that have persecuted them and they've endured that. And they've not grown weary. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You've forsaken your first love. And then he gives them three instructions here. This is real quick. If you want to recapture your first love, you need to remember the height from which you have fallen. There was a moment when you really understood first love, a moment when you really understood what this was all about, when you understood innocence and, and this, this thing that drove your heart. He said, remember the heights from which you've fallen. He says, repent. Everybody say repent. repent. Say it again. Repent. repent. One more time. Repent. <laughs> now, repent is seen as such a negative word by so many people. Oh, I need to repent. No, actually, repentance is the most positive word that we have. It's like, oh, yes, God, I see your way is better than my way. I'm not going to keep doing my way. I need to repent. Repent means turn around, go the other direction. Start doing the opposite of what you've been doing. And when you repent, there is an incredible transformation and opportunity for God to begin to shape you. It is a very, very positive word. And then he says, and do the things you did at first. Do the things you did at first. Now, Bible scholars do believe that this is talking about their love for God. But that's, that's been highlighted at the expense of what it probably also means. Because what it also means is that they've lost their first love for one another. Yeah. See, it's not just about loving God, as will, as will unfold in the scriptures. Loving God really is about loving people, and loving people shows you how to love God. And it, so what this, what this is saying is you've lost a first love. And it's really easy to see if you look at the context of what he's saying here. He's saying... You weren't tolerant of wicked men. You made sure that the standard was there. You made sure that things were right. You made sure that false apostles were uncovered and it was obvious to everybody. You've done all this stuff, but in the midst of that process, guess what you did? You lost love. You became judgmental. You became harsh. You became too critical. It's easy for it to happen, isn't it? 
easy for it to happen. It's so easy to start thinking about people's sins and evaluating them instead of pouring out your own heart and loving them in the middle of it. So really, it's, it can happen easily, and it happens to every one of us. My hope, honestly, my hope is that one chapel can continue to be a place where everybody, no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what's going on inside of you, that you can know that you're loved and accepted. Now, make no mistake, sinfulness keeps you under the wrath of God. There's no doubt about it. Here's what Romans says. The wages of sin is death. That means the payment for sin is always death. Death always, death lives in us and reigns in us when we, sorry, death lives in us and reigns in us when we sin. But here's the thing. Jesus is our solution for sin. None of us need to live under the wrath of God. The wrath of God is turned away only in Jesus. So no doubt about it, the wrath of God is real, all right? And that's, what, that's the reason there's such good news. Turn to your neighbor and say, what, good news? Don't you hate it when pastors do that? Yeah, I know, I'm sorry. But you all are smiling a lot more now than you were just a second ago because you were looking at me like, what is it my southern friends say, like a cow at a new gate? Some of you don't even know what that means because you've never been on a farm, but... Here's the thing, here's the thing, is this, this love that we're talking about here is so important for us to have a first love to God, towards God, but that means there's also a community of love that we're sharing together, that we're not spending our time catching one another in sinfulness and judging them, but we're, we are discussing what's going on in our lives. We are open to one another, and there's access given to each other's lives, and then we're embracing one another and saying, look, I'll walk with you on this journey. I'll walk with you to say no to this thing that's killing you. That's what we're supposed to be. we got to recapture our first love. Love is the thing that drives your priorities. If you believe that Jesus is merciful and loving and he wants to rescue mankind from their own sinful desires, that's what's got to drive you, that love. Now, when I think about, think about my first love, I think about the f- the, really the first time I met my wife. Her name is Amy, and and we met in college. And I remember, I still remember, she was wearing this floral print dress, and I was interviewing her to be on a team, on one of these music ministries teams that travel and sing. And we went to Bible school together. and, uh, And so I met her, and I just remember this moment. Oh, who is this woman? And she was so sweet and so cute, and I, um... She kind of stuck in my mind. Well, I was, I was, <laughs> I was dating somebody else. It was crazy. So I, we went through this, we went through this process, and I, I, I was really, um, I was really struck by her. We ended up traveling together uh, on this team, and went to a bunch of places, and I, I fell in love with her while on that on that trip, because I got to see her in the most difficult moments. I got to see the strength of character. And I just remember um, really wanting to commit to her, but being afraid. 
And I'd gone through this process where I, was, I didn't know how to commit exactly to marriage. I was, I was worried about what all that meant because of my own history and my own past. And, uh, and so we went through this really difficult period. And the truth is, the bottom line is, I had to win her back. I remember the day she wrote me a letter. And the letter said, I love you, I believe in you, but we're not going to be together. Don't call me, don't talk to me. It was that day that I hatched a plan <laughs> where I realized what an idiot I'd been, what a stupid idiot I'd been, and I've got, I'm, I'm not willing to live without this woman. And that right there, I wasn't willing to live my life without her. I realized it just a little late. But then I started a plan, and I was going to go sweep her off her feet. So we didn't, I, I did exactly what she asked me to do. I didn't call her. I didn't talk to her. But I started praying and scheming. And talking to my friends, she was, at, she was in her last year of college, and I was uh, working at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, and uh, I was in my first year there, and so I was planning, I was scheming, I was talking to people, and I was starting to write in a journal that I would give her when we met. And here is that journal. Yeah, this is sick. This shows you how whipped I was. <laughs> this is not just a journal that I went and bought off of the shelf at Walmart. I went and bought the actual materials to make it. I put in, it's like a little puffy cover and I bought the puffy stuff that goes inside and glued the inside from the fabric store. I mean, and then tied it together with ribbon. I mean, what is wrong with me? I was slain. I was in love. I was in love and it didn't matter what, what had to happen. I was thinking about her all day, every day. And then finally, I called her one day, and I said, I, 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 uh, out of the blue, well, first of what I did is I sent her roses. Sent her a dozen roses. They showed up on her, in her dorm for everybody to see. And I just signed the card, true love conquers all. And I didn't even sign it. I just banked that she would know. And she did. And then I called her, and she says when I talked to her, the first time I called her, she said, I could tell you were different. Something had happened to you. Yeah, I was consumed by love. Genuine, authentic love. The kind of love that's willing to lay down my life. To give up everything in pursuit of her. And so... We went to dinner. We didn't eat anything all night. We cried. I, I shared with her my journal and gave it to her, and she read it every night the rest of that year in college. And, uh, and, and, and then I remember talking with her at night on the phone and hours and hours of conversation. Do you remember this with the person you love? Hours of conversation. How we long for the hours of conversation now.
I, we, were, we, were, we were smitten. We were struck. We were consumed. We were consumed with one another. This is the connotation of first love. The connotation here is what, what, what colors your world? What gives you perspective? What motivates you to do what you're doing? What are you engaged in? You just can't shake it. It's just there. It's just in front of you all the time. That's what, that's what Jesus is talking about with this church. They'd gotten into all this other stuff. They'd gotten into keeping score. They'd gotten into, into some, some things that weren't really healthy for them. If you look at 1 Corinthians 13, this is, of course, the love chapter, and it defines for us, it helps define for us what this is really all about. If you look over there to 1 Corinthians 13, here's what it says. It says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. You can tell. Hey, when you read this, you can tell <laughs> there's lots of churches that spend their time on these subjects. Secret plans, really spiritual, faith that can move mountains, talk about all that stuff, and sometimes we talk about it at the expense of the most important thing. This is the most important thing. This is the thing that has to define one chapel and every church of Jesus Christ. Here it says, he goes on, he says, um, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. You can do all kinds of stuff. You can be engaged in all kinds of activities. You can do all kinds of things, but if it's not motivated by love, it's empty. It's meaningless. I don't want us to have an empty, meaningless church. I don't want us just to be nice to each other on Sundays. If that's, what we're, if that's what's happening here, it's not going to work to transform our city. It's not going to work. Nobody's going to be attracted to it. Oh, they might be attracted to the music and, you know, to this crazy commercial office building. I don't know that they'd ever be attracted to that. But here it is. We're in this new building. But here's the thing. You've got to, you and I have to open our lives up to each other in order to experience this kind of love. Here it is, the definition. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. You know what I'm convinced of? I'm convinced most Christians' problem isn't about theology or about any of these other issues that we typically talk about. It's just about being rude. Stop being rude. Have manners. If you disagree with somebody, don't yell and scream at them. <sighs> okay, I'm going to get on a little soapbox right here. Part of our problem as our rep in, our, in, in terms of the reputation in our American society is no, everybody sees our face as angry. That's a problem, people. We have to change that. We have to reverse that. Love is the only way we do that. So here he says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. Oh, that's a hard one. Do you have kids? Enough said. And it keeps, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Are you married? <laughs> Enough said. 
Keep no record of wrongs. Because if you keep a record, if you keep score, guess what? Somebody wins, somebody loses. It's not about keeping score. Verse 6, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstances. This is what I want us to be. This is what we have to be if we're going to see Jesus do something in people. Now, how does it work? How does it happen? I want you to turn over to 1 John. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3, 1 John 3. How can we love people like this? When we see that description, patient, kind, not boastful, not proud, not jealous, not rude, doesn't demand its own way. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. Here it is simply defined for you, all right? I want you to write this down. Love is living for someone else's good. Not your own good. Not what you want. Well, I just don't feel like they're giving me what I need in this marriage. Well, I think you might have the wrong focus. And please, please understand, I don't mean to trivialize very deep, difficult marriage problems. But at the root of these problems, in one way or another, is, an, is a misunderstanding of what love is. Love is not a feeling. It is a decision to act for the benefit of somebody else. And what happens is, as you decide to act, then... Have you ever noticed the feelings may or may not stay around? The feelings begin to change. What happens is as love grows up, it becomes mature by its action, by, its, by its, what it's doing as it, as it demonstrates. And then something comes along. The feeling comes back around. I can tell you I'm more in love with this woman today 20 years later than I was that first day when she sat across from my desk. I love her more because you know why? I've seen her character. I've watched her and how she's, she's um, given her life for me and for our kids. Is she perfect? No. <laughs> she said, yes. <laughs> no, but neither am I. So this perspective is so important for us. Living for another person's good. And so I want to read this. I want to read this through 1 John chapter 3. Why don't you join me in verse, um, verse 10, verse 11. Let's start in verse 11. Whoops. Wow, I can't seem to find it. It was here earlier. Okay. There we go. Are you with me? Say Yes. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. You know this story of Cain and Abel? It's one of the first stories in the Bible. And you know why it's there? It's there for a reason. Cain was jealous. He was mad. You know what he's mad at? He was mad because God accepted Abel's offering and didn't accept his he was upset and jealous of his brother because he had favor that he didn't have. Have you ever seen somebody get so consumed with what somebody else has? That they're so consumed about the favor that person's getting and really they're missing the whole point of what's going on in their own life? He's saying here, don't be like that. Don't be fixated on somebody else and what they've got going on. Be fixed 
your eyes, have your eyes fixed on Jesus and on loving him and loving one another. Look what he says here. He says, don't be like Cain. His own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Now, what he's saying is, don't be surprised at people who are not within the body of believers, who are not brothers and sisters. Don't be surprised if they hate you. That's how the world works. They function on a whole different set of principles. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's not what this is. This, what we're talking about is loving people and opening your heart to them. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Oh, now he's starting to qualify it. Here's how you know you have life in you. Here's how you know life is regenerating you. Here's how you know you have sparkle in your eyes. Is if you know how to love your brothers and sisters. If you don't, then death is living in you. He says, anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. You know what this is? This is a... This is a picture of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says to this crowd, he says, you have heard that it was said, don't murder your brother. But he said, I, I think you damage him if you get angry. So it's, it's a reference point here that hating people is like murdering them. He's, he's taking, the, taking this position that it really destroys people. Hatred destroys people. Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Here it is. Here's the second identifying mark. Here's how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And if anyone is, has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Do you see what this says? This is defining it for us that love is actually about laying your life down. It's actually about giving to somebody else. It's actually about saying no to me and yes to you. I know, it's totally opposite to what the world says. You know, you got to learn how to love yourself first. Okay, now I know what they mean by that. It's not what Jesus means. You do have to understand who you are in order to love somebody else. You do have to receive the love of God into your life in order for it to pass through. There's no doubt about that. That is absolutely true, but it's not about self-esteem. It's about understanding and identifying who you are in Christ and receiving his love into your life. And then he starts meddling, if you notice. Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but doesn't have compassion on him, then the love of God can't be in him. Can I tell you this? You can write this down. The love that we're called to is practical, tangible. It is measurable. Measurable. You can measure it. It's practical. It's tangible. It has, it has something you can say, this is what I did. It's not saying, oh, honey, I just love you so much. You're so sweet. You're so beautiful. You're so awesome. Could you take out the trash? No. Taking out the trash as dirty and simple as that is, is actually a demonstration that I love her and I don't make her take out the trash. You see? All right. 
Measurable, tangible, practical. You have to ask yourself the question. Do I love my spouse with tangible, practical, and measurable actions? Continue on here. It says, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. With actions and in truth. I love this verse right here. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Look at this. This then is how we know we belong to the truth. Wait, how, how do we know it? How do we know it? This then is how we know we belong. Are you guys with me? Did I lose you? Is it freezing cold in here? I know, I'm sorry. But there's a lot of you and you're creating a lot of body heat and it's clicking on the fans. This, then, is how we know we belong to the truth. How do we know we belong to the truth? What's just been said? Oh, our actions, when we love people without just words, but in action, this is how we know we belong to the truth, is when we're actually doing something practical and measurable for somebody else. And this is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. His presence, here's, write this down, God's presence settles on us when we love one another. God's presence settles on us when we love each other. Something changes. Something happens. Notice what he's saying here in verse 20. He says, we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. You know what this is saying? This is saying if you are having a hard time because you feel condemned, you carry this burden around, you know what helps lift that burden? You know what helps destroy that burden? You know what helps the presence of God come in and begin to penetrate a person's heart? You know what helps do that? Being a part of a community of genuine love. When you are part of a community of love, it doesn't matter what condemnation you feel or you sense in your own heart or your own mind. Look, God knows everything is what this says. It says when you are part of a community, that's what undoes this condemnation. God knows your heart. God knows what's going on inside of you. And people, when, they, when you belong to them and they belong to you and they're demonstrating something to you, the presence of God shows up and begins to do his work. Not in condemnation, but in genuine conviction and transformation. I really believe that. So notice what it says here as he keeps going. He said, let's, let's skip down. We don't have time to go through the rest. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7. So you go down a little further. Verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is is love. Hey, love is not dispensed by God. It's not like, oh, here, you want you have some. Okay, good. Actually, love has to be, it's overwhelming. You have to have a revelation from God. Something has to hit you like it hit me when I saw Amy. It has to consume you. It has to overwhelm you. You can't really be in love a little bit. Have you ever tried that? It doesn't work. You can't be in love a little bit. It's got to drive you and consume you. It's got to be the thing that is on your mind. Here, this says, if you love, then you're born of God and you know God. 
if whoever does not love God doesn't even know God. Because God is the essence of love. Here's the thing I want you to see. We come to know God better by loving others. We learn how to love God by the way we love other people. I learn how to love God better by being a loving husband. My children learn how to love God by loving their parents. I learn how to love God better by loving my boss, who is really a pain. Do you see what do you see the work that happens when you're when you're willing to be consumed by first love? It changes everything. Verse 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. Oh, he's saying it again. He's gonna say the same thing he already said. Why is he doing it? He doesn't think you get it yet. He doesn't think you get it yet. He said, He's this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son, and the world that the world might sorry, into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. When God loves you, he empowers you to love another. It's very hard to keep a marriage together. It's very hard to really have a, a, a life of love if you're trying to do it by your own willpower. And you're in your own, from your own self. You need something else to drive it. God's supernatural love. And then I love this scripture right here. You should take your pen, if you have it in your hand, and you should underline verse 12 because it is pivotal. It is important. It says, no one has ever seen God. Not even Moses. No one's ever seen him. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. <laughs> this means people get to see God through your actions. The only way he's really revealed is through you and through me. Could God write all the words of the Bible in the sky for all the world to see? Sure he could. Could he appear to everybody? Just poof. He does sometimes, you know. It's happening all over the Middle East right now. People everywhere are having dreams where Jesus appears to them. It's an awesome thing. But here's what this passage is saying. It's saying the primary way that people see God is through you and through me. Through you and through me. When we share our lives with them, when we lay our lives down like Christ, others see God through our love for them. And then finally, if we keep going down the passage, and we'll end with this, this is important, though. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he is in, and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Do you see how lovesick, how lovesick for God and for others you, we really should be? 
We're not consumed in keeping score. We're not consumed in the, we're not consumed by the standard. The standard is important. Identifying sin, identifying wickedness, it's all part of the equation, but it has to happen by the Holy Spirit. It has to happen with the, with the um, a, a heart of love that's so full that it will embrace even the worst offenders. How do you, how do, you do that? Well, you do that if you know how much God loves you. If you realize how desperate you were, how unlovely you were, and if you don't get that, if you don't have that, it's very hard for you to walk with somebody else who's been through a very dark, deep sense of, of, of being um, rejected or alone or consumed in their own sinfulness. Very hard for you to do that, to walk with them. You have to have a revelation of God's love. So look what he says. He says, in this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are, I want you to see that little phrase, we are, what does it say? We are like him. We become Jesus to people. We become God's love to people. Then he says this, verse verse, uh, 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with what? Punishment. Punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I've been talking with a couple of guys that I know uh, who are involved in AA and uh, SA and um, involved in some, some groups where they, they, they're dealing with their own addictions. And uh, it's incredible to hear the story of what's going on in them. Because they found in these groups total acceptance, love. Now, they're all meeting together based on the brokenness. They all understand that they're all broken. That's why they're there. So they, they embrace the brokenness. They embrace others. Now, they don't force anybody to do anything. They just allow them the opportunity to be involved. There's automatic accountability by the relationships that begin to be established there. It's not accountability that's forced on them. They choose it by relationship. Now, I know that AA, was there's some Christian ideas in its founding, all right, which is wonderful. Here's the thing. That description that I just gave you, that's what the church is supposed to be. (laughs) Could we be a place where people, no matter what's going on inside them, no matter what the darkness is that drives their lives, that they could know they could come to church and be loved? Look, God... God's the judge, all right? God is the one who judges all things, and we've all kind of settled that. We're supposed to participate in his reclamation project, in taking what was really destroyed by sin and making it new again. He does that in the life of a person, but he wants to use you and me in that process. And people can't experience that if they think you're angry at them or judgmental of them. They're they're afraid to tell you their darkest secret We've failed. Right. 
I'm not willing for us to be a group of people that just um, enjoy some nice music on the weekend. That's why I have a whole group of groups upstairs. Because I know that not every one of those groups is going to develop into that kind of relationship. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know that it takes time and energy to settle to create a culture that accepts people where they are and is willing to walk with them in a journey. I know it takes time to do that. And some of you are not even equipped to do that. My goal is that I'll equip you more and more as the weeks and months go, go on. But we have to embrace the idea. We have to at least go towards the idea that these groups begin the pathway, that we're willing to embrace another person's life. And, 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 and we may be there shooting guns at a target, okay? But while the dialogue's going on, Something's starting to happen. There's a connection that's happening. People are realizing that they, it's okay. You can really tell what's going on. You can really say it. You can really share it. And when you do, God's spirit begins to rest on us. We begin to share the love that only God can give us. We begin to change and be transformed because now we're not afraid. You see what we just read? We're not afraid of punishment anymore. Somebody is being God's hands and feet to us by accepting us right as we are. They're not apologetic about the truth. The truth's going to be there, but we're not going to violate them. We're not going to gossip and tell everybody about, what. oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you know what's going on there? Oh, my goodness. Can't believe that that's happening. Listen, if you do that, you've undid the gospel. You undo the gospel. We can't, we, we can't be those people. We have to be the kind of people that have experienced the incredible love of God, and then we're willing for it to flow through us to another person. That's where I want you to go. That's where I want us to go as a church, and that's what we've got to make priority in our lives. It's got to direct every issue that we face, every struggle at work, every issue in our marriage. We have to see through the lens of first love. Will you go with me? Will you make a commitment to that? It's going to be a difficult road. Here's what happens. It gets really messy. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with a messy church. Would you just pray with me? Just close your eyes and bow your heads. I want you to just listen to this last verse. It says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. God, we repent of living for ourselves. God, we repent of just doing whatever we want and not being consumed with what you want. Forgive us for pointing a finger, not realizing there's three pointing back at us. Forgive us for being too judgmental. Forgive us to be more consumed with the sin and concerned with the sin than we are with the person and the heart of the person who's trapped. Help us, oh God, to be the kind of community that will fear you and you only. That we will not fear punishment, that we will experience the love that you have for us and for the world. Help us, Lord, to be a place where it's safe. Help us to be safe. 
where people can process their pain and their struggle. Be willing to open up and let you in. Oh God, give us your grace to do this. We repent, we turn away from all of that judgment and finger pointing and we embrace you and we embrace one another. Will you give us, will you give us your help by your spirit? Lead us and guide us. Help give, give your spirit and its power, his power to every one of us in the room that want to break through the selfishness and break through this mindset that we have that really puts our needs first. Help us to love one another like Jesus loves us. Help us to create an atmosphere where people don't have to be afraid of rejection, but they can witness and experience the powerful love of Christ. Oh God, forgive us, clean us up, help us, help us. If you just keep your eyes closed and your head bowed, I'm not going to embarrass you, call you forward or anything like that, but I want to give everyone an opportunity to make a commitment to Christ. Maybe you're here today and you're realizing I've never really experienced the love of God and I need to. Some of you understand what it is to experience the love of God, but you've been away and you've just resisted, you've rejected him, you've somehow just been on your own journey and not invited him in. And this is your moment, this is your day, this is the the time when you want to make a commitment. You want to say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Please pray with me. I want to commit my life to Christ. If that's you, I want to give you the moment right now. Lift your hand up in the air and let me pray for you. Anybody? Yep, I see you in the back. I see you over here in the back. Anywhere? Over here in the side. Yep, right here. Another one in the back. Anybody else? Over here on the left. Anyone else? Yeah, lift your hand up. I see you, young man. Yeah, I see you right here. Right here in the front. Anybody else just want to make the declaration, I want to commit my life to Christ. Now I want you to just pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it. You pray these words with me. You don't have to say them out loud, but as I pray it, I want you to just say it to God. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you're reaching out to me with your love. My plan is not working. I need you to forgive me for my sin, for resisting you, for choosing myself above you and above others. Forgive me and cleanse me. Heal me. Let the blood of Jesus wash me clean. Cause my mind to be renewed. Make me into a new person today. Change me, transform me by your great love. I don't want to live under your wrath anymore. I want to live under your great love and your mercy. And so, Lord Jesus... I choose you. I will follow you. I follow you. I let you in. Overwhelm me. Consume me with love, your love, so that I can share it with others. I thank you for this. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for healing. Thank you for your love. Father, I pray for every person who's praying this prayer with me that you would seal the work that you're doing in them now and that you would encourage them along the way. Help us, oh God, to be the community of love that you want us to be. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.